All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 8 to 11 is our text. We're coming back to a section of study that we started last week uh, from the standpoint of working through verses 8 to 11. And so if you have sermon notes in the bulletin, you want to um, pull those out. We're down to point four. We're talking about five challenges regarding spiritual gifts that the Apostle Paul has given in these first 11 verses. But we said this matter of spiritual gifts is going to go all the way through chapter 14. So we're going to be here for a long time. But last week, it was really very critical that we studied and talked about as we look through the concept of spiritual gifts and trying to figure out what your spiritual gift is and how you're going to be using it, that we went through these questions. And we said last week that there were three major issues that you have to understand because if you can understand it, it's going to help me as we move forward. As we move forward, as we go through further studies, I'm always going to come back to these three major issues. So if you weren't here last Sunday, I highly encourage you to get the podcast because I'm just going to briefly mention them today. And that's what I'm doing from this point forward because they are extensive it is, these are the issues that when you try to study spiritual gifts, leave people confused and wondering why the spiritual gifts are being practiced one way at one church and another way at another. So here we go. Number one, we talked about using the biblical definition versus the contemporary definition of the gifts. Then we talked about the fact of using temporary versus permanent status of gifts. Or then we talked about the inclusion of biblical offices alone versus gifts too. So what did we talk about? Like, number one, we talked about the biblical definition. And we said, go with the biblical definition. Now, that seems like a no-brainer. That seems like something really simple to do, that if you're a Bible church, you want to do that. But it's critical that at least it's before all of you that you understand when you talk to some people that use tongues as babble speech or some secret prayer language, it's because they decided that they weren't going to use a biblical definition. They were going to use their own definition. They were going to come up with something different that's not in the Bible. And so that is why you see them practicing tongues that really aren't what we saw with known languages when we did our in-depth study last week. And same thing like with an apostle, where an apostle was somebody who's seen the risen Christ, met certain criteria, but was still given that spiritual gift. But now contemporary definitions have apostle almost like a pastor or some type of authoritative person within an ecclesiastical structure, like some type of bishop, but given the name apostle. Well, that's, that is a contemporary understanding, not like the apostle Paul. And I thought it was really good and appropriate to talk about the confusion you can see i'm driving down the street and i see a church is advertising that they have apostle joe there okay and joe is this apostle and you think well why 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 you know is he on the same plane as the apostle paul and the answer is no because an apostle is defined differently when you look at how the bible defined defined an apostle. So all of the spiritual gifts were trying to go with the biblical definition. Second, we talked about the fact that, that there are different types. Uh, and we went through and showed you that there are temporary gifts and there are permanent gifts. And that will even come out to, in today's study. And, and we talked about the fact that with the temporary, they were there for a foundation. They were there for a sign. They were there for 
I know that's a big word, revelatory, but basically it's all about how did we get our Bibles? How did we get the Bible? Okay? It came to a time when the people didn't have a Bible. And so there were, there were needs at this time to give them these temporary gifts. So we went through and proved, are there you know, passages that we can prove that there were temporary gifts and that there are permanent gifts? And we said yes. So again, highly recommend you listen to that podcast. Then we talked about the fact that, well, what about offices? And I've had people just smack me in the face, like this, not literally smack, but metaphorically, just like, how dare you think that, that a pastor is a spiritual gift or an apostle is a spiritual gift? Well, we went through and we proved that when you start dealing with the list of gifts, like in 1 Corinthians, or you deal and, and down here in Ephesians 4, where spiritual gifts are listed, these, these gifts were listed. And so we talked about the fact that you have offices that are gifts and gifts that are offices. And so why is that critical? Well, because it's needed tied into the fact that there are temporary and permanent gifts because we talked about the fact that apostles are no longer on the scene so, and as well as prophets. So all of that it, are those three major questions. We answered them. And now we try to move forward, okay? And we're going to get into this idea of the different types of, the different types of, of gifts as we're going to go through the nine spiritual gifts that are listed in verses 8 to 11. That's where our text is. Let me just read it. For, um, for to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit. Verse 9, to another faith by the same Spirit, and to another gifts of healing by one Spirit, and to another the effecting of miracles, and to another prophecy, and to another distinguishing of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. And then we'll get into the next section, but to one and the same Spirit works all things distributing to each one individually just as he wills. Look, when we... Excuse me. When we go through this, all I want you to understand is we want to do what the Lord wants. I don't want to hinder any aspect of the Holy Spirit in any way, shape, or form. I don't. But we want to be people that honor God and do things his way. And over the past few weeks, I've been giving you that book um, reference that John MacArthur wrote, Strange Fire. And this morning, I thought, I just want to show you the passage Go back to Leviticus chapter 10. The book was Strange Fire, where John MacArthur goes into um, just some of the charismatic practices that are happening in our day and age that are just wrong. And as a result of answering those three questions that we answered, if you answer them the other way, it ends up, I believe, taking you down a path where you come up with this idea of strange fire. Now, where did MacArthur come from to come up with that idea for a, a book title? Well, it's from two sons of Aaron, okay? Aaron being like the initial high priest of Israel, and he has two sons, and he's excited about his kids, and he, they've got great positions. But look at Leviticus chapter 10. So Old Testament book, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, third book of the Bible. And it says, now, Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron took their respective fire pans and after putting fire in them, placed incense on it and offered <coughs> strange fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. So God didn't want them to worship in the way that they did. Whatever fire they put on, we don't know, okay? But it wasn't that which was prescribed. 
Verse 2, and fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, it is what the Lord spoke, saying, by those who come near me, I will be treated as holy, and before all the people, I will be honored. So Aaron therefore kept silent. Now let me tell you right now, if I was leading service and I turned around and I said, hey, why don't you guys have, it's okay if Josh comes up here and does some scripture reading. And Josh does it, and he does it inappropriately, and boom, Josh dies right in front of all of you. I think that would be really, really hard for me. I mean, really, really hard, okay? But if I knew it was truly of God, bye, Josh, and we got to keep silent. Because our goal is always to honor God. We always have to honor God. And so what we're doing is trying to understand how we as a congregation won't offer strange fire to God. Um, Today, I think the only difference between back then and today is God doesn't automatically kill people today like he did with Nadab and Abihu. So Josh, you're okay today, all right? So we're we're in an age of grace and not of law. But when when, um, churches go down a different path, use different definitions, different understandings from the Bible, it will take them down that path. And, 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 and I know that when you're dealing with some of these people, they are incredibly passionate about it. They're incredibly passionate. And the problem is, is because I've shared this with you before, we know, sadly, that some pastors lie to people. And, and I've been in services or where, where we, classes where we've been taught how some of these people lie regarding prophecies, how they lie regarding healings. And I've shared with you how a pastor that I know of in Nebraska was someone that got saved. And once he got saved, he talked about how he faked the whole concept of tongues. And, and you say, well, wait a second. He could have been faking it, but what about all the people in the congregation that were doing tongues? Well, I think sometimes they get caught up in it, and they passionately believe what they're doing. And so I feel for them. I really do. And to me, sometimes it's no different than, than professional wrestling. And I don't want to get anyone angry at me here this morning, okay? Because professional wrestling is making a big push. I don't know if you all, for us in the sports world, they've just signed this big Fox contract that's going to become more on the mainstream. It's going to be um, uh, every Friday night. But you're, we're talking, you know, the wrestling where a guy jumps, gets on the corner of the ring or he gets on the ropes and he jumps down and he bangs on people or he picks up a, a folding chair and just whacks it and stuff like that. Well, I don't know if any of you have ever gotten in a conversation with somebody, but I'll never forget 30 years ago when I was living in Arlington, Upper Arlington in Columbus, Ohio, I, I, I had this guy, is my next door neighbor, and I said, well, yeah, you know, wrestling's fake. And he was going to kill me. He was like, no, I went to Rowdy Ron's Rod, whatever it is. I was in the fourth row. I saw the chairs hitting the guy. I saw the blood, okay? Well, let me tell you, first of all, they, I've seen classes chosen on where they do how you hit somebody with a metal chair and, 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 and the way you can do it so it doesn't impact them. My goodness, you, you hit somebody with a metal chair hard, you know? You're going to send them to the hospital. And then what about the blood? I saw another show where they talked about how if, if you're wrestling with someone, it is real blood, people, but they learn how to take a razor blade and cut on the top of the forehead because if you cut someone on the top of the forehead, you cut yourself, 
these are parts where there's a lot of blood will come out and it won't leave temporary scarring, uh, well, bad scarring or whatever. And, and, they, and they do that, so it's, it's legit. So the idea is they make it seem so real and therefore the people passionately believe it. Listen, we're not talking, I'm not talking about a small argument with my neighbor. It was legit because he passionately believed it. You talk to people who are in sp- gifts that are, churches that are very charismatic, they passionately believe. They believe they've seen people healed. And, and I'll try to get the book, but a professor friend of mine, he, um, from Grace Theological Seminary, great seminary, they did a study, uh, one of the pa- professors there did a study where he went around the world trying to find one documented, legitimate healing and he could never find one in all these charismatic churches. I'll give you the more detail of it. So what we're trying to get you to understand is we don't want to offer strange fire. We want to do things driven by the Bible. We want to use the biblical definition of gifts. We want to recognize that there were temporary gifts. And we want to understand that there are offices that are given as gifts. And so how we're going to recognize those. So all the gifts come in different types, and as we go through this, here's the, here's the list, okay? There's, these are the nine. So <laughs> as we come to this, here's a little side note. I think one of the most interesting and challenging things to study in the Scripture is list, okay? List! I mean, how many times do you come to a list in the Bible and you just whip through it, you read it? You read 1 Corinthians 13, and you say, wow, verses 4 to 7, there's what? 15 verbal adjectives there. Love is patient, kind, not jealous. And you have to, you read through it, but do you take time to study it? You come to Romans chapter 9, verses was it, 9 to the end of the chapter, and there's a list of, you know, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. And there's 25 attributes there. And God, you know, wants us to know all 25, but you run through that list. Well, here's another list. And I just think there's great benefit to take time. And when I take, say take time, to think through, why does God put these lists there? Okay? And so here we go. Let's go through these different gifts, all right? First of all, the word of wisdom. Now, we've just said we have to go with biblical versus the contemporary. So when we come to this word of wisdom, I want you to understand that there are two, and it's hard to see this two, but there are two biblical definitions, possibilities. The two are, is that it's a temporary gift, if you use the biblical definition of giving new revelation, all right? Or is it a permanent gift of giving counsel? I, I think when it's all said and done, <coughs> see this expression, word? It's used in this gift, and it's used in the next gift, and the next gift is really clearly a gift that ceased. How do I know that? Because I think it ties into 1 Corinthians 13. Knowledge will cease. I think this was the ability, um, uh, I think the ability to give wise counsel is not this one. I, I, and so, like, for people who think biblically that it's just, you know, how I give advice, I'm giving somebody wisdom, that's a possi- it is a possibility, but I think there's another spiritual gift, like the gift of encouragement, a gift of discernment that would go into that. I think this is a revelatory gift, and so that here, when they didn't have their Bible, and somebody said, you know, I don't know how to handle something, where somebody would get up, and they would say, 
they, they might give um, Philippians chapter 2, do nothing from selfish ambition or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than self. So somebody would get up in the congregation when Philippians 2 wasn't written, and they would give them the wisdom on how to handle a situation. Okay? So that's what I think the word of wisdom was. All right? Next gift. I think the word of knowledge was very similar. Remember, they don't have a Bible, and so it's a, it is something that would give doctrine. So somebody would get up and say, listen, here I think we should know Jesus is the, the, uh, you know, the firstborn, and you know, maybe go into something like um, aspects of Hebrews chapter 1, about the seven descriptions of, of who Jesus is, which are all doctrinal in nature. Okay, so look over in 1 Corinthians 13, in verse 8, it says, love never fails. Remember the word fails means to not, um, to, to go, to not rust. Love will never rust. It will never disappear is what it's saying. But if there are gifts of prophecy, they'll be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. What do you mean done away? Not, we're not talking about knowledge in the sense of information in general, but we're talking, I believe, in the spiritual gift of somebody being able to just get up and give doctrinal revelation regarding, hey, let me give you Hebrews chapter 1. So this is a day and age when the church doesn't have a written Bible, okay? They don't have the completed New Testament. They're waiting for this. They're waiting for not only the information to come out, they're waiting for the production of how books are going to be made, and so God is giving people these in churches that are spread around the globe, starting to spread around the globe, revelation. And so someone gets wisdom, someone gets, somebody gets doctrinal knowledge, okay? So then here's the next gift, faith. And so you, you're, here we're still, where, where are we? Verse 8, um, oh, verse 9, to another faith by the same spirit. So the same spirit is working this, and now someone is given faith. And faith is the ability to trust in extraordinary ways. This is not saving faith. This is, this is the faith where you can trust. Now, why do we say that? Well, because why would he, Paul say faith regarding salvation? Um, people have faith, and, and, and they can trust. And so this would be a great thing for somebody that goes on the budget committee somebody that you know you're you're facing tough and difficult times and someone says listen i think you really should trust god in this i you know and god gives them a sense where you you know you're encouraged by their words because they really trust there are people that i know who have the gift of faith i mean all of us were say we're saved by faith but this is someone that can trust god in extraordinary ways and sometimes you know these people will take a lot of heat because there are people who are thinking, you know, I think we should trust God. And then everyone else, the people who don't have the faith, are like, ah, you're discouraged. And, you know, I don't think this is going to work. I don't think this will happen. Blah, 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 blah. So, you know, having people in the church with this gift, you can see how it would buoy one's spirits and help encourage people. So we definitely need people with the gift of faith. Then you come to the gift of healing. And healing was the ability to make someone better that suspends natural recovery process. So, you know, like I've said, a lot of the false churches today, what they do with the healing is, you know, a person is, gets healed, but they, they're still kind of limping. 
No, you know, when they were healed, they are completely healed. And like I mentioned in that professor's book, you know, people would say, oh, I saw somebody's hand grow back. I, you know, someone had a hand severed off. I saw their hand grow back. I saw, the, you know, them grow another leg. Again, nothing like that was ever, ever documented. And I really wanted to read something that John MacArthur wrote on this. I thought it was one of the great, a very insightful comments. So please follow on, listen as I read this. He says, healing is a temporary sign gift used by Christ in the Gospels of Matthew and, and chapter 8. And, and, and then the apostles also used them as recognized in Matthew chapter 10. And then the 70 used them in Luke chapter 10. And a few associates of the apostles, such as Philip in Acts chapter 8. The ability was identified as a gift belonging to the apostles in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Although Christians today do not have the gift of healings, God certainly hears and answers the faithful prayers of his children. See James 5. Some people feel that healing should be common and expected in every era, but this is not the case. Physical healings are very rare throughout the Old Testament record. Only a few are recorded. There was never a time before the coming of Christ when healings were common. And that's the thing. We, you know, we want people to be healed all the time because we yearn for the people that we love and we care for. And we want them to be healed. But the reality of it is, is God, even in the Old Testament, it wasn't common for people to be healed. Only in his lifetime and that of his apostles was there a, a verifiable, veritable explosion of healing. This was due to the unique need to accredit the Messiah and to authenticate the first miracles of the Gospels. Jesus and his apostles temporarily banished disease from Palestine, but that was the most monumental era of redemptive history and called for such authentication. To normalize healing, meaning to make it like it's every day, to normalize healing would be to normalize the arrival of the Savior. This gift belonged to the sign gifts for that era only. Paul was sick but never healed himself or asked another human to heal him. His friend Epaphroditus was near death, as we noted this last week in Philippians 2. And Paul didn't heal him. God intervened. When Timothy was sick, Paul did not heal him but told him to take some wine, 1 Timothy 5. Paul left Trophimus sick at Miletus in 2 Timothy 4. Healings were not even everyday norm in Paul's ministry, but did occur when he entered a new region like Malta where the gospel and its preacher needed authentication in Acts 28. The healing was the, the, that healing was the first mention of healing since the lame man was healed in Lystra in Acts 14 in connection with the arrival of Paul and the gospel there. Prior to that, the nearest healing was by Peter in Acts 9 and the resurrection of Tabitha in 9 so that people would believe the gospel that Peter preached in, in Acts chapter 9. Listen, I, 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 I know if you've got a TV in this day and age, you can turn it on and you can watch these people heal. And boy, it, it seems like it's legit. But investigation after investigation has proved that it's not legit. And so, does it mean that God doesn't answer prayers? No. But the gift of healing was a temporary gift, and it's not the norm. So then, number five, miracles. The ability to suspend normal and natural situations. This was a temporary gift. As we saw in 2 Corinthians 13, that miracles would validate an apostle. Well, we said apostles are off the scene. And so, this ties in with miracles being off the scene. And we all have to recognize when we use this word miracles, sometimes we, you know, um, use it in such a, a way that it's, it's like, oh, it's a miracle that, that my, 
The Chicago Bears won today, you know, when they play Oakland. Oh, it's a miracle that they won. Or if the team has this great comeback and you say, it's a miracle, all right? And, or something good happens and someone gets, you know, they've got cancer. I want to say, if, if, let's say somebody deals with something and all of a sudden, um, you know, they get a raise and they say, well, that's a miracle. Okay, they're, they're dealing with work and they get a, get a raise. Well, that's normal. There's no suspension of the fact that laws that where you, like you throw an axe into the bo- in a body of water and that axe floats, that, that, that it's made of iron, it should sink. That is a suspension of the rules. So that's what we're looking at with miracles. These were used, again, to authenticate the fact that, hey, we, we don't have the Bible. We're, we're going into the gospel um, with an, in a new era. And so guy does a miracle, and all of a sudden... Um, people would listen to them. But now that we've got the completed scripture, we don't have to have the miracles. So we said the miracles are off the scene. So here we go. What about prophecy? Where are we in, in working through this? Um, verse 10, and to another affecting of miracles, and, ver- and then prophecy. And it's really important that we understand prophecy is the ability to get direct revelation from God and then to communicate that revelation to other people. It is not preaching. Males and females had this gift. This was a revelatory gift. And I think this is really critical, that that this is a gift that we understand because the Bible, as we went through last week, has, at least the New Testament, the foundation of the church was built on prophets, apostles and prophets. And so... um, let me read what um, Gil Rue wrote on this. And he says, Some identify the gift of prophecy with the gift of preaching today. But that is not correct because the key element is missing. A preacher does not get his messages directly from God. A pastor gets his messages from the word of God, hopefully. But God does not appear to him in dreams and visions or speaking directly to him. Since a prophet got his message from God, it was free from error, which obviously is not the case today. God cannot communicate mistakes. If God had so garbled his message he wanted to reveal to man and there were so many mistakes that the meaning was not clear, then God would not have revealed himself at all. Okay, why is this important? Because we have so many people today that call themselves prophets. And then secondarily, some of you have study Bibles. And as much as I often recommend Dr. John MacArthur, and I like him and I've even cited him, this is an era, area where I believe he has created a lot of confusion among evangelicals because he has said the gift of prophecy is preaching. And, I, and so the I, I, only reason I bring him up is because I, I don't ever want anyone to ever think we worship a man. And I highly respect John MacArthur, but not everyone is perfect. I'm sure somewhere along the lines I've made a mistake. Somebody, maybe back in 1989 or something like that or something, 1990 or something, small. So... The idea here is some of you have heard this and it gets perpetuated that the gift of prophecy is the gift of preaching. And it's not. It, because a preacher, when I preach today, I'm supposed to take what the Bible says, what I've already gotten, and give it to you and explain it. Not get new revelation. I mean, my goodness, if I was a... I mean, you think about how the church... If it continued with this, how dangerous it is. And I always use this illustration because if I came to you and I said, look, I've got the idea. We, I've, got a, I've got a prophecy. 
that everyone here should sell their house, okay, and give the money to the church. We need new carpet. We need air conditioning. Please. And if you don't, if you believe that I'm a prophet and I've just given you a prophecy, then you need to obey. And I know I've used this illustration, but it is the extreme. And it is the essence. And that's why when, was it Oral Roberts in 1985, 86, when he went to to his congregation and said, listen, God has told me, unless I get $8 million, God's going to kill me. All right? And and, and so the people so feared. You guys love me so much. If I said I was going to get killed, would you come up with $8 million? I mean, I'll never forget. I was watching it. I watched this. And this guy comes on stage and he... You know, it was like down to the last day, and here's a million check for eight million, eight million dollars. Prophecy is getting new revelation. Okay, number seven, distinguishing spirits, the ability to distinguish true doctrine. I believe this is a, this is this is a spiritual gift from we can tell today. Um, part of this it ties into First John chapter four. Um, the idea is that it's the ability to discern true doctrine and spirits. It's a permanent gift. And it's something that uh, every church needs. Um, and so let me just quote, um, um, I believe it's John MacArthur said this, Satan is a great deceiver and his demons counterfeit God's message and work. Christians with the gift of discernment have the God-given ability to recognize lying spirits and to identify deceptive and erroneous doctrine. Paul illustrated the use of the gift in Acts 16 as Peter exercised it in Acts 5. When it was not being exercised in the Corinthian church, grave distortion of truth occurred. Through its operation, though its operation has changed since apostolic times because of the completion of the scripture, it is still essential to the people in the church who are discerning. They are the guardians, the watchmen who protect the church from demonic lies, false doctrines, perverted cults, and fleshly elements. As it requires diligent study of the word to exercise gifts of knowledge, wisdom, preaching, and teaching, um, so, so it is with discernment, okay? All right. Distinguishing spirits. Tongues. And I'm not going to go too much into this, but it's the ability to speak in a foreign language as we talked last week. Um, glossa, the Greek word for it, tongue, which uses a foreign language in these verses. As we said, it is not Babel speak, nor is it a secret prayer language. Okay? And then we talked about the interpretation of tongues. It's the ability to understand a foreign language without special training and then communicate the message to others. In the gift of tongues, I think this is Gil Rue, in, in the gift of tongues, God would speak directly through a person and he would speak in a language that they had never learned. Someone else would interpret, even though he also had never learned that language, and the other believers were built up, edified, as they heard the special message from God. So in this mix here, we go through nine gifts. Nine, some permanent, some temporary. We're going to go through other lists as we move through this. Some permanent, some temporary. You say, well, why in the world would God ever have given us temporary list gifts with the temporary gifts i think he was letting us know how the early church operated and the early church needed this instruction for several three four hundred years but as he said in first corinthians 13 it did cease okay so that's where we're at so here we come now to verse 11 and it says but the one in the same spirit works all things distributing to each one individually just as he wills so fill in the blank with the word humbly. You need to humbly acknowledge what you've been given. And I love these pictures because here's a picture of a woman and she's looking at her gift and she says, I don't like my gift. I don't like what I got. 
And here's the thing. You may or may not like what you've got. But the reality of it is like these kids here. I found this picture. These kids were given some um, Christian gifts. And they're thankful. And they don't even even know what's in the box. Maybe they do. Hopefully they do. Makes my illustration better. Listen. Look at verse 11. To one in the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. Look, you know, if I said to you today, I'm giving you a new car, you're excited, right? And, I, and the people, the, I give two people a new car. First person gets a 1976 Chevy Gremlin. Or is it, did Chevy make Gremlins? I, I, so um, the other person gets a 2020 brand new Cadillac. So you get the gremlin, you get the Cadillac. You say, well, that's not fair. That's not fair. I want a Cadillac too. I wish I had so much gift of teaching. I had so much gift of service. I had so much gift of discernment. You know, I wish I had more, all right? We're going to talk about asking for more, dealing with other things and gifts, but there's a sense of humility is saying, okay, you know, just like the pa- passage with the talents. You know, somebody gets 10 talents, of like $10,000 to work with. Someone gets $5,000 to work with. Someone gets $1,000 to work with. God, why can't I have 10000 Well, God knew that other person needed 10. You needed one. However, it's going to work out. I don't, I, I, I've got to trust in sovereignty. And I've got to recognize that the giver was God. And that ultimately... He disturbed it as, through the Holy Spirit, God, as he wills. So as we're going through this process, what's the idea? Identify your gift and be thankful for it. But here comes the challenge. Every person, as we understand our gift, and we discern it, and we understand there is a spiritual world, challenge yourself. What are you doing with your gift? I hate to give a gift and have it not used. Um, I joke, I have a certain person in my life I give gifts to, and they never, they don't, they don't get used. And you say, well, you're given a gift that they don't need. No, sometimes we know they need this, these gifts. Um, like if, if you give a gift and it's needed and it's not used, it's really hurtful. Um, Maybe you've done that. You've given someone a gift, and maybe you know that they needed it. Maybe you gave, you gave somebody a gift, and, and it was like money, and then they, they, they lose it because they didn't even care for it. That would hurt you. Well, God has given us something very valuable. And if you weren't with us, we went and we studied Ephesians 4. The whole concept of spiritual gifts weren't in the Old Testament. They came about because of Jesus' death, Ephesians chapter 4. He purchased a lot with his death the ability to give these spiritual gifts and how you know that you're using them is that you are active in the local church they are not ultimately primarily used independently we're going to see they're dealing with the church body now obviously there's times i can use them in my home and you know obviously along those lines but we're going to see spiritual gifts are for use within the church not independent, not just on your own. And so what I want you to ask yourself is, 
Do I know what my spiritual gift is? And am I using it faithfully? Thankful for whatever God has given me. And perhaps if you are sitting here saying, boy, I don't even know if I have a spiritual gift. The issue isn't just getting a gift. It's getting saved because every person that believes in Jesus Christ gets a gift. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you've given us gifts. You've given us this challenge with so many issues tied into spiritual gifts. Temporary versus permanent. Biblical definition versus not. Help us to always keep this before us. Help us to be a church that uses the Bible to drive our doctrine rather than our own experiences and the things we want to have happen. Oh God, how I pray that everybody here is faithful using their spiritual gift, fruitful in using their spiritual gift. And because of that, we make a greater impact in this community because our church is stronger. And for those that have gone through this study and they're sitting there thinking, what are you talking about regarding spiritual gifts? I don't see, I don't have that. I don't see any desire. I don't see any impact in my life because of a spiritual gift. I don't see myself impacting others. Then God, I pray, I pray, I pray that they come back to square one and look at their lives and realize that the reason they're devoid of a spiritual gift is because they just don't know you. They don't have a relationship. They're not born again. They're not sealed in the spirit. They're not been someone that the Holy Spirit has given a gift to. And I pray that it causes them to recognize the reason of this is because of their sin, their rejection of you, their walking away from you. However, they contemplate the sin, righteousness, and judgment, conviction, and it causes them to, to fear, and it causes them to finally just say, you know, I don't want to be a person without. I'd rather be blessed. I'd rather have the spiritual gift. I'd rather be someone that's going to be rewarded for how I live my Christian life, uh, live a Christian life. And, and, then, and then they turn to you, and they get saved, they repent of their sins, and they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and then they get their spiritual gift and get to work for a life that will count for eternity. Thank you, God, that we who are believers who have been given spiritual gifts have lives that count not only for our time here on earth, but for all of eternity. In Jesus' name, amen.